0: Do you know what 340B program is? If you said no, you're not alone. Today, we speak with the National Advocacy Manager of the Community Voices for 340B. Come with me as we learn more.
1: Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices and Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices and Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard.
0: Welcome to the Voices in Advocacy, po- advocacy podcast, and I hope you are enjoying season four. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in our advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and non-profit cause groups. Let's get started. On today's show, we speak with Rhiannon Klein, the National Advocacy Manager for Community Voices for, for 340B, building national 340B advocacy community outreach and education campaign. She has developed and currently leads five regional advocacy groups of industry leaders, covered in entirety, Uh, entity representatives, and grassroots advocates. Rhiannon began her career in global HIV AIDS advocacy as the government relations intern for the One Campaign in Washington, D.C. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Rhiannon to today's show. Welcome, Rhiannon. Thank you. Glad to have you here today. Now, for the layman listening, Tell us, what is the 340B program?
1: Yeah, so the 340B drug pricing program is a, a federal program that costs taxpayers nothing. It is a discount given by pharmaceutical manufacturers to nonprofit, what we call covered entities. So those are healthcare, um, healthcare nonprofits that provide services to the communities that are underserved and vulnerable. Um, so, these pharmaceutical manufacturers give a discount on outpatient drugs. That discount is then um, turned into savings for our nonprofit healthcare communities. Those savings get turned into programs that are used to benefit health outcomes for the underserved.
0: Okay great. Now you mentioned underserved communities are, are they mostly rural or is there a combination of kind of inner city and rural?
1: Yeah, the beauty of the 340b program is that it's a combination it's everything um, and so we have um, you know rural health clinics or mobile health clinics even that are paid for using the savings that uh, that healthcare entities get from the 340B program but then we also have city metropolitan programs um, that are paid for by the savings that 340B covered entities get
0: wonderful now I understand that this was established uh, back in like 1992 uh was it a bipartisan legislation at that time or was or was it politically divided
1: yeah, one of, I think one of the original bipartisan drug pricing pieces of legislation. Um, and I think that's something that we like to say a lot in today, in today's world, because it's, it's not normal.
0: <laughs> you, you are absolutely correct. It is abnormal, in fact. Uh, yeah. So what is the kind of mission and then purpose of Community Voices for 340B?
1: Community Voices for 340B started about seven or eight years ago um, when we realized that the missing voice in advocacy on behalf of the 340B program was that of patient voices. So people who are in the communities who are receiving benefits, receiving um, services that come from some of these programs, um, that 340B directly influence, um, and so we started this organization. Several of our board members got together um, and said, "Let's let's start talking to patients. Let's start talking to the community and seeing what they say about the program." Um, and so our goal was to first educate um, and then inspire into advocacy the community um, around the 340B direct pricing program.
0: So, what did you learn? We, talk to you. we learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure uh, you yeah, Give me a we, couple of highlights there.
1: Yeah, so we learned first that um, before we could educate the community, we had to educate some of the covered entities or some of these healthcare providers um, about the good that 340B was doing for their entity. Um, we learned that a lot of... Um, A lot of our 340B covered entities, again, those are the healthcare providers in our communities, the nonprofit healthcare providers, the finance person would know, um, the 340B program manager would know that they do all of the audits and the the reporting requirements. They would know what 340B is. Outside of that, no one really knew. Um, And so our first goal was really to educate our providers, our community, healthcare nonprofits on the 340 program and what it was doing for them and, and their patients. Um, and so we started to do what we call covered entity educations, um, which were webinars. We went into these covered entities and did, you know, a kind of a choose your own adventures. It could be 15 minutes or an hour talking about the good that 340B was doing for their entity. And then you know, we moved into the community. And so we have a field director in Texas. He does health fairs, talking about the 340B drug pricing program um, and the good that it does for his community. He is an African-American pastor. And so he works a lot in the faith-based community.
0: This may be obvious to you. It may not be obvious to the audience and I'm not sure it's obvious to me, but this is a discount drug program that provides this lifeline, if you will, to these patients, Uh, doesn't cost the public any money whatsoever, but why does it have a name 340B?
1: (laughs) If I could change the name of 340B, let me tell you, I would have done it so long ago. I mean, let's talk about the least sexy name for a program, right? Um, So it actually, 340B is just, the part of the legislation that it was passed under. So it's section 340B, that's all.
0: Well, in in a sense then, the the simple reality is it's kind of like Title IX was for women. Yeah. uh, That, why is it called Title IX? Well, that's because where the legislation was. And so this is 340B because that's the place the legislation is listed at as, as law, correct? Yep, exactly. Wonderful. So this sounds great. Doesn't cost us anything. Helps serve underprivileged, does a drug discount program, works with the pharmaceuticals, but for you to be an advocacy organization, there must be some sort of threats to this program. Uh, Are there any threats to the program? Uh, And if so, what are
1: they? There are threats to the program. Um, The 340B drug pricing program is, like I I said at the beginning, it's a discount given by pharmaceutical manufacturers. That discount is um, quite small, um, but pharmaceutical manufacturers aren't fond of giving away money for free, I would say. Um, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, And so... There have been calls by them to uh, shrink the program, reform the program, in whatever capacity that they can they can muster. Um, currently, the threats to the program include something called contract pharmacy restrictions. We have a handful of pharmaceutical manufacturers who are restricting um, the 340B discount to to drugs that are shipped only to the location of the covered entity. So within our healthcare system, we have what's called a covered entity, which is obviously the, the primary nonprofit uh, healthcare location. And then they have something called a contract pharmacy. And the contract pharmacy is a pharmacy that is not affiliated with the primary location, but they contract so that they can, you know, send their drugs there. It's like when you or I go to the, the doctor and they say, what's your pharmacy? And I say, oh, it's the, you know, the grocery store down the road, right? That's a contract pharmacy. Um, they then are able to ship their drugs to this contract pharmacy and get the discount. These handful of pharmaceutical manufacturers have decided this is not okay. They don't want to do this anymore. And they are no longer giving the 340B discount to drugs that are shipped to that contract pharmacy, which has a huge impact on the ability of our nonprofit healthcare centers to have a saving that then provides programs.
0: Are they then, uh, are they doing this to kind of the mom and pop pharmacy the individual pharmacy or are they doing it more to the chain pharmacies
1: yeah so it's it's a kind of across the board um these contract firms i mean you could have a any pharmacy can be a contract pharmacy um and so it's it's across the board at this point
0: yeah I would, I would imagine that in a sense, what they're trying to do then at that point is, is almost eliminate the program without eliminating the program.
1: Exactly. So a few years ago, um, there was a big push for legislation um, to shrink the program um, by pharmaceutical manufacturers. And um, that failed. Uh, it, it didn't go on. So this is kind of a new way to, to shrink the program
0: a little bit. So how do you combat that?
1: Um, I think that at this point, we have such a wonderful, vibrant story in the 340B program. And I think that that is how we combat these threats to the program is we take the stories of the patient and we get that out there.
0: Okay, so that, so, so that's your messaging, that's, that's great. Uh, how are you collecting those stories?
1: Um, so we collect stories through um, several different venues in our advocacy world. So we have our five different regional advocacy groups. Um, there, uh, We have a Western, a Texas, a South Southeastern, a Northeastern and a Midwest those are places where um, grass tops and covered entities and then also our grassroots advocates all come together and are able to kind of be a hive mind and and talk about the stories of the 340b program Um, and then also come up with ways to advocate in their regions and so that's how we have been doing it, is going through primarily covered entities, talking to grassroots at healthcare centers and at um, health fairs in the community, talking to businesses. Um, the 340B program touches every part of our lives. And so it's, it's really easy to, to educate somebody and then they will be able to say, oh, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about.
0: So you're talking about grass tops. You're talking about the grassroots as well. How are you training these supporters to be more effective, influential advocates? And are there certain techniques that you're using in that training? Um,
1: We have uh, what we call a covered education. And so a lot of the training that we do is just basic education about the program itself. Um, And then through advocacy, Um, We have a set of tools on our website um, that all of our advocates can use. We have infographics, um, we have petitions, they're all uh, customizable. So if a covered entity or a healthcare provider wants to put their logo on it, they can download it, slap their logo on it and go out. Um, And so we're training people to kind of use this choose-your-own-adventure advocacy model. What's going to work in the rural areas is not going to work necessarily in the metro- metropolitan areas. So we provide them with as much tools as we can, and then they're able to come to us and say, this is what's going on in our area. This is what we need. And then we were, we're able to then help from there.
0: Great. So you're, telling, you're talking about uh, storytelling really being your important vehicle. Uh, so that people really know what's going on on the ground. Why do you think storytelling is so important?
1: Because nobody cares about numbers. Um, Because we are inundated every single day with, you know, statistics and numbers and, and our brains can't really comprehend those things. Um, We're also inundated by messaging, Um, you know, the messaging that that either party wants to use as a platform. And so if we can cut through the messaging and and the numbers and the statistics with a story about Grandma Jane down the road um, that everybody in her community knows, that's impactful, that lands.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I, I agree. I often, uh, in in my advocacy training with people is remind them that, you know, we say that somebody like a President Reagan uh, was a great communicator, but Reagan was absolutely fabulous in doing things like, well, I got a letter from nine-year-old Johnny the other day. Yep, And that's the personal storytelling. Uh, yeah. That You can relate to a nine-year-old Johnny. Uh, you can relate to uh, what are happening uh, in communities when it comes to things like this. So, so now more generically, for you personally, why do you think political influence is important?
1: I think when we're talking about things like a federal drug pricing program. I think that there are ways in which we can pull on the heartstrings and and influence our legislative leaders um, in a way that's really personal. And I think that it's important to do that because if we don't have that stop gap, if we don't have the ability to say, hey, Senator so-and-so, um, this is Rhiannon, and then that person knows who you're talking to, then we don't have anything, right? We we, we don't have advocacy at that point. Um, and so building those relationships with legislators, making sure that they know who you are, um, you know, there was a point where um, I always talk about, there's a point where I was, visiting with our our legislative leaders here in Michigan so often about 340B um, that they would see me coming down the hall and I could see them turn and go, Oh,
0: here she comes.
1: Here she comes. That 340B girl is here. Um, And that's fine. That's great. But what I would tell people was I need community members to come with me so that they don't tune out anymore, right? So that so that they see me and they go, oh, that 340B girl, here she comes. And then, oh, but she's brought somebody with her. And they know that that person is going to add value. That person is going to, to bring that story.
0: That person is a constituent. That yep. person is in their district.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah, and, and it's affecting... You know, I think that legislators get a bad rap when we talk about, oh, well, this is a voter. Yeah, but I think that I think that most legislators, and I'm going to say most, but I think that most legislators got into politics, got into government to do good, whether or not that person is going to vote for them. And so um, I think it's more than that for a lot of them.
0: I think that's a really good point that we overlook all too often, and that is their desire to do good. Yeah. Most people paint them with a black brush.
1: Yeah, and I, it's easy to do that. It's really easy to do that because the loudest, the loudest politicians are often the ones that maybe aren't there for the right reasons. Um, but I know my legislators are. I know my senators are. Um, regardless of whether or not the person that I'm bringing into their office is going to vote for them in November, they're going to listen because they, they truly care about this state. They truly care about the country.
0: So you work in advocacy and you're passionate about it. So what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word advocacy?
1: Justice. Justice. Um, yeah, it's justice absolutely justice because we are advocating or we're advocating for what's right what's true what's good it and people can say well some people don't advocate for what's right and what's true and it's good but for whatever reason in their life they've decided that they're advocating for what's right and true and good um and they're advocating for justice for what is, what is going to make the world a better place.
0: I asked that question of every guest, and this is the first time anybody has used the word justice. And I think that there's uh, there's some appropriateness to that. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, yeah. Y- you must feel that what you're doing, uh, is going to help defend and protect the people that, you're, that are behind you. Yep,
1: people don't advocate for things that they don't believe in.
0: Right, yeah, particularly yeah. on the grassroots level.
1: Yeah, exactly. You don't volunteer your time to stand in the sun and hold a sign because, oh, well, I might as well do it, right? You, you do that, you take time away from your family because you truly believe that it's going to make the world a better place.
0: Boy, I, I, I agree with that, that statement. So we're in a day and age where we have to use technology an awful lot. Uh, are you using any specific technology tools to engage your advocacy uh, when it comes to these efforts?
1: Uh, every technology tool I think <laughs> we're using. <laughs>
0: That must, um, that must include direct advocacy tools as well as social media. Uh, yes. Drill down into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So we use, um, you know, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, we do find LinkedIn is 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 our place for sure. Um, uh, but that changes depending on what you're advocating for. Um, and then, you know, don't underestimate the power of a webinar, you know, yeah. Um, is, is a huge advocacy tool, uh, is a webinar, a town hall, a virtual town hall. Um, we also use software that allows us to create petitions um, where you just put in your information, you can write a little message to your legislator and then hit send and it, off it goes. Um, we utilize obviously Email marketing, um, but we find that that social media, um, our webinars, our ability to really engage with people through um, virtual means has has become our bread and butter.
0: So, is technology enhancing personal grassroots engagement? One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, because here's the thing, I think that there was a whole market of people that we were missing out on when we were only doing in-person advocacy. There was a whole, you know, there was a whole group of people who maybe didn't have the means to fly to Washington, DC, or didn't have the physical ability to march on Washington. Um, people who weren't able to get out of their house for whatever reason are now able to engage via technology. And so a good example of this is where we're planning a march and um, we we know that some people aren't going to be able to come to the march physically. And so we're creating a QR code that people can take the pe- the marchers that are going to be there in person, take home and then get five of their community members to sign the petition via the QR code. Um, we've just increased our advocacy capacity fivefold because we've allowed technology
0: into our efforts. Oh, that's, that's absolutely great. Uh, as we're coming, close to the end of this uh, wonderful interview. Uh, Rihanna, where do you go personally for additional kind of advocacy education?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I've built a network of wonderful friends and advocates that advocate across the spectrum from um, reproductive rights to gun reform to, you know, you name it, they're doing it. Um, and so if I have, if I come up against a stone wall, I usually reach out to them.
0: So you kind of have a master class of uh, of mentors that, that work together, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I am a strong believer in always having people who are ahead of you and behind you that you can reach out to. Um, if you need help and that you can reach back to if you see them struggling.
0: That was very well said. Thank you, thank you for saying that. What is the uh, the best professional tip that you have ever received in your career?
1: Don't stop. Um, I think that's the best professional tip. Um, even if you are crawling, and you feel like you're in quicksand, just, you know, keep moving a little bit every day um, because it won't always feel like that. Um, And I think advocacy, especially, there are days where you feel, especially in 340B, there are days when you feel like, you know, you're on the losing end of the battle, but then you hear a story about how your advocacy changed somebody's life um, and it's easier. So just don't stop.
0: Great. Uh, Any final thoughts, anything you would like to add? that We haven't covered.
1: I think that it's important for professional advocates, people in the advocacy, advocacy profession to remember that, The people that we're working with are not professionals and that um, their ideas and and their strengths are in the fact that they're not in this every day. And so um, there's a lot of value to be added by including volunteers, including community members in what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that kind of makes it real and kind of makes it raw. Right, right. Excellent. Excellent closing point there. How can people learn more about Community Voices for 340B? Where do they go?
1: We're online at cv340b.org. That is
0: C as in community, V as in voices, 340b.org, correct? Yes.
1: Yep. That's us. Um, And we are on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Feel free to follow and share.
0: And you can get those links when you go to the webpage and we'll have those in our show notes for you as well. Well, that's a wrap of today's wonderful conversation with uh, Rhiannon Klein, National Advocacy Manager for Community Voices for 340B. Thank you, Rhiannon, for being so insightful and passionate uh, on today's show. And I wish you and Community Voices for 340B all the best.
1: Thank
0: you. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com, that's R A P index.com, and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices and Advocacy Podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.